Alrighty. We're going to jump in. This is another one of those. So this is kind of like my rule with messages is I just feel like that if it doesn't like burn a little bit, sting a little bit, we're not growing. No joke. I looked this up today just to see. I started Googling workouts that don't. The top results. Workouts that don't make you sweat. Workouts that don't make you sore. <laughs> Workouts that don't burn. I went, oh, like, we're just Googling how to do nothing. Like, that's like exactly, and I feel like that's sometimes how we want to come to church. I don't want it to burn. I don't want to sweat. And I don't want to be sore afterwards. Well, you don't build muscle that way. So we're going to burn. We're going to be a little bit sore. And, yeah, we're going to sweat a little bit tonight. Um, this message has been very convicting to me. My dad had preached a couple weeks ago. And he was preaching on Paul and Silas, and there was one line that really stuck out to me. And I actually reached, I wrote it down in my notes, and I reached over to Orrin, and I said, look at that. I'm going to preach that. And there was this whole message that I got from just this one line, and it has been so convicting to me. It's, we've talked about it at home, and every time, Orrin's like, ah, that hurts so good. Like, but it's just been very convicting. And as I was praying today, I said, God, what do you, what do you want me to minister tonight? What do, you, what do you have to say? And I feel like that message came back up. So we're going we're gonna to jump into that. So the title tonight is My Part Matters. So everybody say, I have a part, and it matters. And here's why that even just that phrase means so much to me, is that it is so easy for us to get in a cycle and for us to get in a routine of knowing that God has a part and God's part matters, but we forget that we have a part. And we will even memorize scripture as such. So we're going to look at some of those. So we're going to look at um, very familiar scriptures. This first set, we're going to look at a lot. So we're going to kind of rapid fire through them. But I want us, we're going to refer back to these here in just a bit. But I want us to really read them how and what circumstances we apply these scriptures in. Because a lot of times we'll apply these scriptures when things are going real good. We'll apply these scriptures when we need God to show up and do what he can do. But we don't want to apply these scriptures when it's time for us to really apply these scriptures. So let's look at Jeremiah 29, 11. And again, very familiar, but I want to read through them because I want us to get a different perspective tonight on the word of God, our part, God's part, the whole thing. And it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil that give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Okay, I want us to take note that there's two parts to these scriptures. Um, there's two parts, almost everyone we're going to read, but there's two parts. We quote, I know the plans that you have for me. I know the thoughts you have for me. Is that true? Yes, 1,000%, that's true. If we keep reading, though, we see a little bit of expectation on our part that are we seeking him with all of our heart? Are we going to him? Are we praying to him? Or do we want to skip that part and just watch his plans for us come to pass? Watch his thoughts towards us come to pass? So sometimes we want to skip our part and expect God's part. Now let's go to Philippians 1.6. And again, very popular, and these are not discredited at all. These are phenomenal scriptures and some that we should all have memorized, but understanding the fullness of them. It says, being confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So now we know, okay, God started this in me. 
God's faithful to finish this in me, right? Again, we see God's part at work here. Now let's flip over to 4.13, and we're going to read 4.19 as well. 4.13. Actually, I wanted to read 7 first, sorry. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. We quoted that one. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds. I've quoted that scripture multiple times. Right before that, it says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. So I'm quoting, God, I need your peace that surpasses all understanding. I need you to do your part. And he said, I did my part. My part's already finished. We're being anxious. Because it says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through thanksgiving in prayer, in supplication, making your requests made known to God. But then we want the second part. And then it goes on after that to tell you to meditate on these things. What are we meditating on? There's probably a reason we don't have that peace that surpasses all understanding. And then 4.13, again, very popular. I can just quote it, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then skip down to verse 19. And it says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And my God shall supply. So these are all things, all promises of God. And we know that all the promises of God are in him. They are yes and they are in amen. We know that he cannot go back on his word, that he is the word. So again, this is all God's part, but God's part has been finished for us. That's why he sent Jesus. So his part has already been established. But our part allows us to access everything that Jesus made available to us. And sometimes we're not seeing all of these that play in our life. Maybe it's not because God's going back on his word. Maybe it's not that we're accessing him through a relationship that he made available to us. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep going. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Then flip over to uh, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. And then let's go to Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then I'll just quote these last few, but he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Um, And then we already read the piece that surpasses all understanding. And we could go on and on. There's obviously hundreds of more scriptures we could list. But I wanted to list some very popular ones just to lay a foundation here that we memorize these scriptures, which is valid, which is good, which is excellent. But we have a part to play and we can't forget that because we usually expect God to do his part and we forget that we have a part. So we want God to show up. We want to see his promises come to pass. But if we were to look at the second half of those, when it says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, I would like to see that in my life. Would you? Yes, absolutely. So that's a promise that I absolutely pray. The next part of that verse says, according to the power that is at work within us. Where do we get our power? We've been doing a series on the personal Holy Spirit and the power that is made available in us. 
that we operate in. How does that power grow in us? That power grows in us when we access a relationship with the Holy Spirit. When we are walking in the Spirit, when we are feeding our spirit, man, that's when that relationship grows. Well, when if we're not if we're not connecting and we have no power on the inside of us, we're praying, God, I want to see exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask or imagine in this circumstance, in my marriage, in my finances, in my job, in my workplace, in my family. I want to see it. What power is at work within you? What power is at work within you? And this is by no means a message that says your works are really what matters. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying we have a part to play and it starts through relationship because it's only through a relationship with God, with a relationship with his word, with a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit that we're even able to understand the word, that we're even able to walk out and desire the things of God. If I don't have a relationship with him, I'm not gonna desire what he desires. I'm not even gonna know what he desires. But when I'm walking out a relationship with him, I'm gonna know what he desires for me. I'm gonna know what he desires in me. I'm gonna know what he desires through me. And that becomes a natural byproduct of my life because I'm in relationship with him. So this is not go memorize all the do's and don'ts of the Bible because that's what this next part is gonna sound like. This is not go memorize the do's and don'ts and try to do them in your own strength. We can't. Only according to the power at work within us. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's part of being enabled and being quickened and being enabled by the person of God, by the person of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us. Are we tracking so this doesn't sound like a do's and don'ts? All right, because the next set of scriptures, because we love that first set of scriptures and all the rest of them, Psalm 23, Psalm 91. We wanna, I know that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I want his rod and his staff to comfort me. I want him to lead me beside still waters. I want a thousand to fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand and not come near me. I wanna quote these scriptures. I want to say that I'm blessed going in, I'm blessed going out, that everything I set my hands to is blessed, and that doors will open that no man can shut, and doors will shut that no man can open. I want those things. But every one of those has an our part, and we forget to memorize our part and put that into play. Here's some our parts. We went through some of the ones before um, in the scriptures we just read that they were conditional, um, but here's more. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I want all these things added unto me. Am I seeking God first? Above all else, is he first in my marriage? Okay, what does that mean? Like, yes, I prayed when I woke up this morning. It was the first thing I did. That's not what this is saying. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If I'm seeking God first in my marriage, I don't care how my spouse is acting, I choose to honor God. If I'm seeking God first in my finances, I don't care what the numbers show, I tithe, because that's what the word of God says. If I'm seeking God first with my kids, and it doesn't matter what is going on out here, how they're acting, what's happening, I'm gonna raise them according to the word of God, regardless of what mom, grandma, aunt, uncle, and anyone else has to say about it, they're not God. I'm gonna seek God and see what he has to say about that. That's seeking God first in all areas of our life, not I prayed first thing this morning. Seeking God first in his righteousness. Am I more concerned about being right? Or am I more concerned about responding in a righteous manner? God never picks sides. He always aligns with righteousness. Always aligns with righteousness. And sometimes that's biting our tongue. Sometimes that's putting our selfish people aside and aligning ourselves with the word of God. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things. What about flee youthful lust and pursue him? Do we flee things that are outside of the bounds of the word of God? of the word of God, excuse me, do we flee those things? 
Flee means like flee, like tuck tail and run, right? Instead, we're like back away slowly so I can still get a visual while I'm doing godly things. It says to flee and pursue him, which means I've got to turn around from what I'm looking at and pursue God. Are we fleeing those things? That's in our part. Flee even the appearance of evil. Doesn't even say just to flee evil. It says to flee the appearance of evil. It says that do not be unequally yoked. Keep our marriage bed undefiled. Are we planted in the house of God? It says to forgive. It says that we should let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, that we should not worry, that we should honor our father and mother. We give our tithes to the storehouse, that we do good to those who hurt us and pray for those who spitefully use us, that we should not pick up offense, that as much as it depends on us to keep peace, to guard our heart with all diligence, to be anxious for nothing, to obey the word of God. Again, we can go on and on and on and on and on. Not a list of do's and don'ts for you to do on your own strength. My first question for you to write down, are you doing your part thus far? Am I doing my part? Am I so applied and focused on my relationship and the word of God that regardless of what circumstance I'm in, regardless of what people do to me, regardless of what my family does to me, regardless of what my spouse does to me, regardless of what my finances say, am I aligning myself with righteousness and what the word of God says or what feels best to me? What feels best and what I can justify and excuse myself for in the moment? Which one is happening? Because there's a difference. Our part matters. So we can go on and on and on. Are we doing our part? And you could, I mean, you can apply this to a million different ways. One of the ways it's kind of prevalent in our life right now is I love having project horses. I love having horses that come in. I get to work on, we rope on them. Um, if they're Gymkhana horses, we'll do Gymkhana stuff on them. If they're ranch horses, we do ranch stuff on them. Like we'll take a horse, maybe doesn't know a lot, and then we teach them a lot. And then we have a safe horse that's up for sale, basically. So Oren's part is he buys me these project horses. <laughs> Shelby's part is to actually ride the project horses, okay? So Oren bought me a couple this summer. It does no good for Shelby to leave them sit in the pen and go, man, I wonder what they'll be. I wonder when we can put them up for sale. I wonder if they're safe. I wonder, Oren, could you maybe ride them too? And go ahead and just figure out what they are. And No, that's Shelby's part. So we both have a part to play in this. But I can't, just because Oren does his part, not do my part and expect to see a harvest, right? So it takes both of us, not just one example. We could have a, have a ton, but God's part, again, I want us to get this. God's part is done. He sent Jesus. He sent the person of the Holy Spirit. His part is finished on our behalf. It's finished. He literally said it. It is finished. It's finished on our behalf. We have access to all of what we want. All of it, but it takes our part, and our part matters, and we're going to see more and more of that and get beyond just allowing ourselves to see our, uh, our situation, because what happens is that sometimes circumstance happens. It's different than what we expected. Sometimes things happen that maybe are not fair. Sometimes things happen that we don't understand, and when those things happen, sometimes our actions suddenly don't matter. My part doesn't matter because God sees my circumstance and I'm justified to respond how I want and I'll repent later. And that's usually how we live. And it's constant, it's a cycle of just justifying where we're at and justifying our choices and justifying our words and justifying instead of the word of God is final authority in my life no matter what because my part matters. And I want us to understand, so first of all, we said that I have a part and it matters. 
The second thing is that I have a part and it's not about me. It's a lot bigger than me because we think our part is only about us and we're the only person ever affected in the decisions and the things that we're doing and it is so much bigger than us. So I wanna jump into our actual story Acts 16, 16. But guys, the plans, and the, when we read that, that we, that we know the plans that he has for us, he absolutely has plans for us. And they are plans for good. They are plans that give us a future and a hope. But they're bigger than us. They're bigger than us. They're bigger than what we can imagine. But we can limit them to be within just what we want to see, to be what's just within what we can control. And we'll limit the plans that God has for us because we step outside of an alignment to how we actually walk those plans out, okay? So Acts 16, 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned aside and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. I just got to make like a side note there. I just think it's cool that it says he was greatly annoyed. So is it okay to be annoyed? Absolutely. But he didn't freak out on the girl. He freaked out on the spirit behind the girl. So we're going to get annoyed. We're going to get frustrated. We're going to get angry, but we don't fight against flesh and blood. To have the spiritual intelligence that he did to be able to say, no, that's the problem in here, and it's annoying me, and so I'm going to tell it to go away. And so he felt annoyed, but he responded to the right battle. He responded to the right thing that has nothing to do with the message. It's just a little extra cookie. But I just love that. I'm like, man, do I get annoyed at the right things? And he came out that very hour, but when her master saw that their hope of prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Okay, if you have a pen, something, I need you to highlight that scripture that is very valid. I need you to see that Paul was just greatly annoyed and he spoke to a spirit in somebody. He has total grounds to freak out and wreak havoc on these people right here. Chooses not to, and we're going to get to why here in just a minute, or actually at the very end of this, but we're going to circle back to that scripture. That they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, they've been thrown in prison for going to pray, being annoyed and freeing a little girl from something that was tormenting her. Were they doing anything wrong? No, they were right where they were supposed to be, doing right what they were supposed to be doing. Has anybody ever in this room, been like, I am trying my heart out to be right where I'm supposed to be, doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I am applying the word. I am trying to pray. I am. And this still happened. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, we've been there. Okay, these are the moments. This is usually the moment that we're like, what's it matter? I tried. I tried the God thing. What's it matter? I tried doing it God's way. This is still happening. This is still confronting me. It doesn't matter anymore. I could have been just doing whatever I wanted 
I'm still gonna face battles. Absolutely, we're still gonna face battles. 1,000% we are going to face battles. But this is where I want our perspective to shift that our part really does matter. Because now, I want us to define our prison. Now they're thrown in prison. So what is our prison? It could be a current prison. It could be a prison that we were in in the, fa- the, the past. Here's a few things to help us. Maybe it's a situation that I don't feel like this is where my life should be right now. I thought I would be farther along. I didn't think I would be here at all. Maybe that's the prison that we're in that I don't feel like. And sometimes when we can get in that situation, we're like, I feel like I should be farther along. Maybe God forgot about me. Maybe I messed up so bad that I'm never gonna get there. Maybe that's the prison that we're surrounded in because they probably didn't wake up that morning and thought, okay, I feel like we, I mean, do we leave the girl bound? Do we go to prison? Wasn't their thought. They were just walking, doing exactly what they were supposed to do, being exactly right where they were supposed to be. And God had a divine plan. But I want us to recognize very quickly that God had a plan. God's plans are for good. God didn't cause them to get beat and cause them to, that is 1,000% the enemy. But I need us to know that God's plans are for good and they're beyond what we can think of in the moment. They went to prison. What's our prison? I shouldn't be here right now. I didn't ask for this. It's not my fault. This is unfair. It's unexpected. Things are not going as planned. It's kind of a sucker punch moment. Those could all be prisons that we're in. So what is yours? Make this personal to you. I like in the classrooms, we literally stand up, get ready, and we dive into the story so we can actually be there. We can smell the prison. We can see the prison. We can all of it. And we want to be in that story. I love to read the word that way. So if I'm in this story, what prison am I in? What circumstance led up to this? Here's the other thing about the prison. Nine times out of 10, any time that we're in a prison circumstance in life, here's the other things that they're, they're surrounded with. And this is where we feel justified. This is where we feel okay to respond, to act, and to speak, to speak however we want and are justified for it. Because here's the thing. They went to prison. Do you think one prisoner cared if they whined and complained? No. Do you think one prisoner in there would have judged them like <laughs> the nerve of you to complain after just getting beat for doing nothing? <laughs> Do you think one person was gonna confront them and call them on their nonsense? No. They were in a safe place to whine. They were in a safe place to, con- to complain. They were in a safe place that they could have bashed God. They could have cursed God because I was doing exactly what God said to do. I am in a safe place to do so. Isn't it interesting that every time we're in a prison moment, the last place that we run is to accountability or anyone that's gonna get on our case for our stuff? We immediately run to where I'm not judged to whine, I'm not judged to complain, I'm not judged to say what I wanna say, to quit, to get, I can do whatever I want and I won't be judged. That's a prison moment. So valid, the first statement was, I don't feel like my life should be here right now. I should be farther along. Whether that was your fault, someone else's fault, whatever, that's where we're at. So now my prison moment is that I can whine. I'm gonna go find people that I can whine. I can complain because it is a dark hole and no one cares. And I can say what I want. And I'm totally justified 
Because were they justified? You bet. They were justified to say what they want to say. No one was going to get after them. So where do we run? Where do we run in our prison moments? Write that in your notes. Where do you go? Do you go to accountability that's going to call you on your nonsense like that? Or do you first create a deeper hole for yourself? Whine, complain, quit, run away, make up excuses, justify yourself, whatever. And then when you're ready to get off your soapbox, you go find someone that's going to encourage you. I know that sounds harsh, but that's what we do. And I want you to see how damaging this could be to our lives and everyone around us. Okay? So this is where no one knows how you respond. You're unaccountable for your actions, for your words. You're justified and no one blames you. You're in an emotional tailspin and everyone is to blame but you. Everyone is to blame. We blame God. We blame everyone else. We get mad when anybody tries to tell us any different. These are the prison moments of our lives. Every single one of us are going to walk through at least one, if not several. The closer you're walking with God, there's probably several of these. And you're going to see why in a minute. You're like, oh, no, I should not walk any closer to God. No, you really should. Because this is the cool stuff. Like, this is when cool stuff starts happening. All right? So what is your prison? Now, what is your prison response? Let's read verse 25. And it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. But at midnight, the darkest hour, when things were the roughest, they were praying and they were singing hymns to God. Praying and singing hymns to God. That's incredible to me. Absolutely incredible that at this hour, at that darkest moment when I thought nothing was going to work out, that I couldn't see a way out, that there was no way to get past this, when I, I, I don't even know how to move on, I just want to give up, that darkest moment, they chose to praise they chose to praise. They chose to sing hymns to God. But after we finish reading the story, and I would challenge you, go read this a few times. This is what I don't think they were praying. God, get us out of here. And we're going to read the rest of the story. And you go read it for yourself. Get your own revelation. I don't believe they were praying, God, get us out of here. Because here's what I believe. If you are in your darkest prison moment for doing the right thing, if your go away or prayer at that moment is God just get me out of here, I don't think your go-to would be praising and singing hymns. If you're praising and singing hymns, that means that I'm praising God because he's the same God who cast the demon out of the girl. He's the same God that I've seen miraculously over and over and over again in my life. And this circumstance isn't any different. So I'm not praising him to change my circumstance. I'm praising him because he's God. And that's my devotion to him. I'm not praising him to change people around me. I'm not praising him to change my job. I'm not praising him. I'm praising him because he's God. And I need to know what he wants to do in me in this moment. Because those scriptures that we read before, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we read that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. If I can imagine God getting me out, God's bigger than that. So they're just praying, God, we just want to praise you because I know that this is awful. I know this circumstance is miserable. I don't even, like we probably very well could die. And that's valid. Paul said over and over, he's like, mm, to live, to die. Don't know which one is better. Because he had a revelation of who Christ was. So in our moments, in our dark moments, because sometimes we're like, right, 
praise. We're just supposed to praise. What does our praise sound like? What is that praise song? God, get me out of here. God, do something about this. God, you left me here. God, where are you? Those aren't praise songs because that contradicts every promise we've memorized. God, where are you? Where does the word say he is? No one knows. Guys, I literally read it to start the service. Where is he? With you, he never leaves you, nor forsake you. But then our praise song is, God, where are you? Our praise song is, God, did you forget about me? Does he? Because in Psalms 139, it says that you can't even think a thought before he knows you actually thought it. And a word doesn't hit your lips before he knows that you were going to speak it. And he knows the number of hair on your head or the lack thereof every single day. He knows those things. God knows those things. So could he forget about me? Is that a thing? But that's our praise song. How is it a praise song when it contradicts his character? So put that in your notes. What's my praise song and does it contradict God's character? Does it contradict who he is? Does it contradict the part that he already played, accomplished, and succeeded at on my behalf? Does it already do that? Does it contradict that? So what is my praise song? But then here's the other thing, not just the prison moment. What's your praise song over your marriage right now? As in, what do you talk about? What, what words do you speak about and over your marriage? How about your finances? Kids, jobs, businesses, coworkers. What do we speak over them? That's our praise song. We're praising someone, either God or ourselves or what the enemy's doing. What's our praise song? It matters. Our part matters. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. Do all things without crumbling and complaining. All things. It doesn't depend on circumstance. All things without grumbling and complaining. So what's our prison song? And that's uh, Philippians 2.14. We're actually going to read that one. You can save your place in Acts. We're going to come back there. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run and labored in vain. All things without grumbling, all things without complaining or arguing, depending on the translation that you read, all things. And I can't say that enough. I'll say it over and over. All things, all things, all things. Who complained or whined today? You don't have to raise your hand. We won't judge you. Who complained or whined about something today? You bet. Every single one of us. Our part says to do all things without that. All things without that. We think our part is impossible in the Bible. We do. We read it, pray without ceasing. I can't do that. I don't have time. I'm too busy. God did not know the expectations he was setting on the world when he wrote that. That's what we say. Okay, Paul, it's just incredible to me. His prison song was a bit different. So let's read a couple other places that Paul wrote. Flip over to 4.4, just a page over. Paul says to rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Same Paul. So the Paul that's praising, why? This is already in him because he can't pull praise from somewhere that he's not filled with. He's gonna pull from whatever he's filled with. So in his midnight hour, he's pulling, okay? Here's another just like side trail, really cool thing. If you wanna write them down in your Bible, these are good to know. 
okay? There are 27 books in the New Testament. 21 of them are known as epistles. 13 of those 21 were written by Paul. The Paul that we're talking about that's in prison. Three of his 13, are we tracking? 27, 21, 13, three. That's where we're at right now, number three. So three of those, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, are prison epistles, meaning he wrote those books while in letters, while in prison. So we read and we're like, put on the armor of God every day. Paul wrote that from prison. Probably means a little different. When I'm sitting in prison and I can say anything I want, like run for your life, they're after you. Love Jesus in secret or you will die. There's a lot of things you could write from prison. No, put on the armor of God, stand. That's what he said. When we look at Colossians, it's really about forgiving people and loving people. It's pretty impressive from prison, I think. You read Philippians, I have learned to be content in all things. All things, I have learned to be content. And then we just read, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. So when you read those, if you write in the top of your Bible, write prison epistle on the top of uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And you read them through and go, if someone can write this to me from prison because that is their heart cry from prison, I am nowhere near a prison and surely I can apply this to my life. Surely I can apply this to my life. It was written from prison. It is not impossible. Written from prison. All right, let's keep going. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Another wonderful statement made here by Paul. He's just a cool dude. I kind of see him as like a little beefy, bald bouncer. Like that's really the look I get. Like just one bad rat. That's what... That's what comes to mind. He would. Like, I wouldn't want to throw him in prison, the guy that's in my head anyway. I might be confused when I get to heaven. He might be like, little glasses dude. Cool. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 16. Sorry, it took me a minute to flip over there. I got sidetracked with what Paul looked like. So now you all have a visual. Rejoice always. So again, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything, does he say when things are going your way and you're not in prison, give thanks? No, in everything, give thanks. Paul is the one that actually said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Those are bold words. (laughs) Imitate me as I imitate Christ to the point that you know that he's not writing them letters and trying to set people up to fail, like do all these things that I can't do myself. But we see that he's in a prison moment and he chose to pray. He's in a prison moment and he chose to praise and he chose to sing hymns, which means it was in him to do it. So when he's writing this, he's saying, you're going to have prison moments. You're going to have things that are hard. You're going to have things that are unfair. You're going to have circumstances that you don't like. And in those prison moments, I'm telling you the thing that is going to unlock the miraculous power of God on your behalf that like you could not see exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine because of the power that is working within you, because you're doing the will of God, because you're giving thanks, because you're praying without ceasing, because you're not grumbling and complaining, because of those things, you watch what God does in your prison moments. And you don't even got to pray to get out of them because God didn't forget where you were. He knows exactly where you were and you're praising and the power is at work within you and you watch what he does. That's Paul. So we can do this, but our part matters. This is not, mm, don't feel like I can apply that scripture. I'm going to try for another one. It's not what this is. 
It was a natural response to praise. So what is our prison song? What is our song? What is our song over our marriage? What is that? And they weren't singing to get out. That's the cool part to me. They weren't singing to get out. They were just singing because they love God. Um, and they pulled from what they, were, what they were filled with. But this takes a little bit of toughness. You can't be a pansy Christian. <laughs> it takes some toughness. It takes some grit to go, I'm gonna dive in and I'm gonna obey every word of, the God, of God. I'm gonna dive into my relationship with God because I wanna be filled with that to where regardless of what faces me, will it, will it hurt? Yeah, it'll probably hurt. Will things offend me? Yeah, probably, but I'm not gonna let them offend me. There's some offensive things I'm gonna face. Am I gonna face some things that are hard? Am I gonna face some hurtful things? Am I gonna face some tragedy? Yeah, we're gonna face it. And it is awful and it hurts. And there, I mean, absolutely 1,000%. That is also why he says he's near to the brokenhearted. He wouldn't have to be near to the brokenhearted if we were never gonna have a broken heart. So we're probably gonna have a broken heart. But it says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And that we're able to walk through some of these things. So why does our part matter? My favorite part of the whole thing. Let's go back over to Acts 16. And this was the line that this whole thing came from that has rocked my world. Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Who were listening? The prisoners. The prisoners were listening to them. Why our part matters is because there's a whole lot more people listening to your song than you think there are. You're not the only one. And people are listening to what you're singing about every area of your life. People are listening to what you're singing about your marriage. They're listening to what you're singing about your kids, to what you're singing about your finances, your job, your business, every area of your life, your health. People are listening to what you're singing about. And it says that they're prisoners. Why? Because every single one of us has a sphere of influence that is vital. Every one of us. Here's the thing. Jesus' commission didn't change based on our circumstance, based on hard things that we're going to face. His commission remains the same. And it's when he left, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded. Why? Because it matters that people know the love of God. Our mission is people. And every one of us in this room has a sphere of influence that no one else has. And there's people in bondage, and there's people hurting, and there's people oppressed, and there's people all around us that we have the ability to see a song with their in bondage, but if we can't sing a song in our own prison, how on earth are we going to help anyone else out of theirs? Because our part isn't about us. And we fiddle and we get just passive about our relationship with God and our relationship with the word. And it's, if I'm too busy, then I don't read my Bible. If I'm too busy, I don't pray. If I'm too busy, I don't praise. If I'm too busy, then I'm tired and I just don't want to do it. And I don't go to church and I don't. And we're so passive because we think that it's only affecting us. You get out of relationship with the word. You get out of relationship with God. You get out of relationship with church. You get out of relationship with accountability it will take you out and your song will change before you knew it changed. It'll change. Guys, I've been praying hard for our church, for our valley, just for the, the season that's coming up. And I can't tell you, like, the quickening and the, the sick feeling of how quick 
that we think we step away for a moment and we think we're fine. And the enemy is desensitizing us like that. Taking us out. We don't even know what happened. And I promise it is a heavy. He is your adversary. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Be sober-minded because your adversary, the enemy, roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The enemy wants to take us out. And he doesn't play nice. And when we think for a second that I'm okay without God this day, I'm okay without the word this day, I'm okay without accountability, I'm okay without people in my life that are gonna call me on my blind spots that I can't see because I don't know that I'm desensitized. When I'm okay doing it on my own, your song will change and it will affect more people than what you can imagine. Our song will change. And here's the thing. So the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of prison were shaken and immediately, what doors were opened? Not Paul and Silas's only. All the doors were open. Turns out when we pray in our prison, how many times do you pray for everyone's doors or just yours? Sorry. All the doors were open, and whose chains were loosed? Everyone's. Not just Paul and Silas's. It's funny to me that God wasn't like, oh, Paul and Silas. How cute of them to praise and worship me in the midst of the prison. I'll open their door and loose their chains and leave all the other heathens there. Because they didn't choose to worship. But here's the other thing that happens to us. We don't think everyone else deserves to be free because they weren't praising in their prison. They were crying. Could it be that you praising in your prison moment is the very thing that brings freedom to everyone else around you? But we are so selfish and focused on our own prisons that we will pray for our doors to open and our doors to find off after we whine and complain about our circumstances. Because we always whine and complain first and then we pray about it. And then we go pray, God, get me out of this. God, open these doors that no man can shut and shut the... And we, we don't even realize where God's going, I get you, I see you praising, but I wanted everyone to be free. You wanted you to be free. Why? So you could go preach to someone else or you could go live a fluffy life the next day. What's your goal in getting free? Have we ever thought about that? Why do I want free? Why do I want out of this? Because it's uncomfortable? Because it hurts? Because it's not where I wanted to be? I know that, I know that burns. It's fine. That's how muscles are developed. Take some creatine after church. You will have muscles. <laughs> some protein too. It's good. Um, but for real, instead, I praise God because he's my God, regardless of my situation and what he wants to do with this is up to him. My part said to praise him and said to thank him. That's what my part said. So I'm going to praise my God for who he is. I'm going to praise my God for what he's done in my life. I'm going to praise him for his character. I'm going to praise him because he's my God and I'm not. And I'm going to praise him that regardless of what I'm walking through, it says that he's with me. He knows that I'm here and there's a bigger purpose than me. And life isn't actually about me. And my part matters. And when everyone is freed, when everyone is walking out of there, 
my gosh, our prison moment suddenly isn't so sappy. Our prison moment suddenly has a bigger purpose than us. Here's the scary part, and here's the part that I like told Oren before church. I'm like, I gotta like pull myself together because I've cried about this all day, and I will probably cry again, but it's fine. I don't cry normally, so you know that this really affects me. If all of those people could be set free, then it was also possible that all of those people were left in bondage. Here was my prayer today. I say, God, I repent for every song that has come out of my mouth that has left the people in my life in bondage. Just think about the songs maybe we sing. What songs do our kids hear us sing? I'm in the classrooms. I know the songs that they hear. I know them. When I got four-year-olds caring about their finances, they can't do anything about that. Why is that being sung to them? Why don't they know who God is? That's the song that should be sung to them, saying whatever the word is to them. When I have kids in the classrooms that are telling me what fights are happening, who's leaving who when, and they're three and four years old. Again, that's not judgment, but what songs? What, do we care? Do we care who's hearing the songs around us? This is not a perfection thing. You weren't supposed to be perfect. This is a thing that's saying, I'm gonna do my part in the strength of God. Am I gonna mess up? You bet, but I'll be quick to repent. But the songs that are coming out of my mouth are gonna be songs that glorify my God, that line up with who he is, and they're not gonna be songs that are gonna leave someone else in my life, my spouse, my kids, my workplace. It's not gonna leave them in bondage. It's gonna be songs that bring them freedom because I know who I'm singing to. That's the challenge in this, is that if someone could have been set free, someone could have been left in bondage. Did Paul and Silas's part matter? Did it matter maybe before they got to prison that they rejoiced always, that they prayed without ceasing, that they were content in all things? Did those things matter? Did it matter that they were, that they were saved, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, that they were walking according to the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh? All of the things that we read, did it matter? Because any day, guaranteed, Paul had a valid excuse, more valid than any of us, to say, it doesn't matter anymore. I think I can act how I want for a day. His song would have changed and someone around it would have heard it. It matters. Our part matters and it's bigger than us. Our part matters. I can't say that enough. And as we go forward in the story, remember the commission? Go therefore to all the world. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching all that I have commanded. The commission continues that we be baptized, we receive salvation, we be baptized, we filled with the, the Holy Spirit, all of these things. We've been learning about all of it. The prison doors are open. Everyone's allowed to go free. The jailer is about to kill himself because of what just took place. Valid? He was in a prison moment now. Did his part matter? If he would have killed himself, what about his family? How would that have affected them? Right? But instead, Paul walks up to him. Again, Paul can do whatever he wants. 
he's completely justified in this moment just to walk by. This is one of the dudes that put him there. He didn't have to talk to him. He didn't have to do anything. But God's commission doesn't change in our nasty circumstances. And Paul could have been so focused on himself, so focused on what happened, so focused on injustice, so focused on why he wasn't supposed to be there that he's like, forget you, buddy. I am out. And it serves you right to hate yourself like you do. And I hope you get in trouble. That might be our natural response. Instead, the commission didn't change. It says that him and his household were saved. Him and his household were saved because the commission doesn't change based on our nasty circumstance. And sometimes we can get way selfish in our circumstances. Do they hurt? You bet. And I sympathize for every single one of them, but it's bigger than you and God can do something beyond you in it if you praise him for who he is. It's completely beyond you. So the jailer's decision even mattered that day because his whole household was saved. And now... Well, ask yourself, this is your third question, your last question. Who will my standing and who will my quitting affect? Who will my standing and who will my quitting affect? Because sometimes we think it only affects us. It doesn't affect anybody else. But there's a bigger effect than what we know because the song you're singing, lots of people are listening to and it's gonna leave people in bondage or it's gonna set people free. Who's it going to affect? That's your final question. And then this one, it's just super fun. This is one of those, another reason I really love the Apostle Paul is because I feel like he always has like the mic drop effect. Like he's super holy, has great things, accomplishes these great feats, and he's like, and just because I can, here's this. And I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna prove it to you because you're laughing, but you wait, you watch this. Okay, so let's circle back to that one verse I told you was very important. And in verse 20, it says, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach us customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans to receive or observe. Okay, now fast forward. In verse 35, it says, and when it was day, so the next morning, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the, the dudes that put him in there personally now sent other people and said like, shoo, shoo, just get him out of here. No one needs to know what happened. Paul, of course, is like, mm, come tell me, your, like, say it to my face. You come tell me yourself. You want me to leave? Come speak up. Everyone's gonna know you visited me. So they do. And, and this, is, this is the moment. Um, so the keeper in the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have said to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Here's Paul's response. Before he says, like, come say it to my face, he just throws this one phrase in, again, that he could have used earlier, but that wasn't the battle he was fighting. He throws the phrase, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and they have thrown us into prison. Wait a minute. When they threw him into prison, they said that they were Jews. Paul's like, oh, and by the way, I'm a Roman. Come say it to my face. Not a Jew. He's a Roman. And here's why that's a problem. Because in customs at that time, without a fair trial, you could not throw a Roman in prison. You could not beat them. You could not. There were very strict rules for touching a Roman. 
These people said, they're Jews. Us Romans can't listen to them. Paul said, by the way, I'm a Roman. Tell him to come talk to me. So he just throws his little, his little mic drop in there that I think is just excellent because it has no spiritual significance at all. Because then they come. It says, and now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come stay themselves to get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. They came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. What does Paul do at this point? Like, he has, like, this fierce battle that he could fight with them. Like, he could take them out for what they did. And so he makes the statement, by the way, I'm a Roman, tell him to come tell me. So they come like trembling in fear, like, we're so sorry, just, just please go. And he's like, all right, see you later. And he leaves. That's it. That's all that happened. He just had to throw his little mic drop and move on with life. And it says that he goes to the house of Lydia and he doesn't tell them all the things that went wrong, all that they had been through. Said he went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Turns out they didn't need to know how his night went. It was fine. <laughs> that was it. Do we see how much our part matters? Do we see how much our part matters? It matters the people around us. It matters. I'm going to read one more scripture. Oh, no, just kidding. I lied. I'm not going to read that scripture. Um, oh, yes, I am. Philippians 2.3. I had the long, wrong one highlighted, and I'm like, no, I already quoted that one. I'm not going back. Philippians 2.3. And we'll wrap up with this one. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Why? Because our part matters. Our part matters. And the Bible is very clear when it says, if you cause one of these ones to stumble, it's better for you to bind, I can't remember exactly what, something great that would make you sink to the bottom of the ocean and put it around your neck and dive to the bottom of the ocean to cause somebody to stumble. That's what it's saying. It, it matters. In that scripture, I have to give just a quick funny. You guys can stand with me as we close. So that scripture always sticks out to me because there was one morning that I could not decide which shoes to wear. So of course, the only other person in my house is Oren. So I'm like, Oren, it's very important that I know which shoe to wear with this outfit. Oren says, the Bible says not to cause anyone to stumble. <laughs> and that was his answer. So that's always one of my favorite scriptures for that reason. But our part matters. It's bigger than us. It is way beyond us. My challenge tonight is that we be serious about our relationship with Jesus that we be serious about the word of God, that we go, it's not an option in my life. It is the final authority in my life and out of anything else, I will not be too busy to be in the word. I will not be too busy to be in prayer. I will not be too busy to have a consistent relationship with my God to know where he's leading, what he wants to do, that I won't live selfish where my battles are only about me by what I'm going through is only about me recognizing that the commission doesn't change. God's mission doesn't change. God doesn't change. 
What are the songs that are coming out of those moments that are coming out of our life? What are the songs that are being sent to the people around us? Are they songs of freedom? Are they songs that's going to leave everyone else in bondage, including us, because we're just going to be angry because God didn't come through? That's not who God is. He wants to come through. He wants to bring freedom, but it's bigger than us. And we got to get our eyes bigger than us because if not, we'll just fiddle in sin, walk away from lust instead of fleeing from it. How we talk is really negotiable. How we honor is really negotiable. What we speak, how we respond, it's all, it's all negotiable based on how I feel because my part only affects me. And when we think that way, We'll always fiddle in things. And this is not, it's also, again, I said, it's not a a do's and don'ts, a works message. It's about relationship with him. Are we really pursuing and walking in a relationship with him? If so, it will be apparent because life won't be about you. If so, the songs you sing will be very distinct. If so, there won't be time to be too busy for these things. I won't disconnect from accountability. I won't disconnect from being planted in the house of God. I won't disconnect from these because it matters and it's bigger than me. And there's more people listening to me sing than what I think. And that's not a people-pleasing statement. You're not living your life so that everyone else can be free around you and you gotta put on a fake because fake Jesus never helped anyone either. So it's not people-pleasing. It's literally living a life that pleases God that I'm going to be in this word and I'm going to apply my life to the word because I want to please him.